of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And I hope uh, folks out there got a chance to stop down in the Water Hill neighborhood yesterday. The weather was perfect, and boy, there were some, or were a, a huge swarm of people for this uh, kind of new uh, little music fest that uh, graces the streets of Brooks, Fountain, and Spring, also known in Ann Arbor as the Water Hill neighborhood. Yeah, it's really sort of picked up momentum yeah. over the last few years into just being an informal thing to being sort of an annual event. I ran into our ever-reliable engineer down there, uh, and uh, Brian Tomzik hosted one of the one of the gigs on his porch. Might have the best porch for uh, music like that because people play on their porches, so it's a kind of a nice, friendly, uh, family uh, little shindig with... Dancing and beverages and people being neighborly. It's good to see that uh, Ann Arbor still has cool events like this. So kudos to Brian Tomzik and the Water Hill operation. Very successful this year because the weather was perfect. Wasn't so nice in New Orleans when I was down there for Jazz Fest, but that's another story. <laughs> we were getting some serious rain, but luckily... Well, well. Just enough clearage for me to see the who. Uh, it was uh, rather incredible. So anyway, I'm a little behind on my uh, <laughs> news. Well, I spent last well. uh, Monday uh, in Marquette <laughs> fetching our youngest daughter home from her first year at college. Oh, so. yeehaw. Nice weather up there, too. So all around the state of Michigan, it's been pretty darn nice of it late. It sure has. And the flowers, May is, is actually one of the prettiest months to be in Ann Arbor because of all the flowers. April showers definitely bring May flowers. And in, in theory, in there should be a little bit more elbow room on the streets and in the parking situations. Yeah, like I always like to say, after the t couple days after the graduation day, 25,000 people go poof, and uh, parking spaces are freely available all over the city for a change. I don't think we need to talk too much about Baltimore. Uh, that's just a... Uh, 
sorry situation. Uh, Detroit, of course, uh, had famous riots uh, back in 1967 connected to police uh, brutality. Uh, Big difference between those two uh, situations, though, because 43 people died, as I recall. And if you want to, if you believe... The Detroit riots. Yeah, yeah, the Detroit riots in 67. Way more property damage, the National Guard, of course. uh, In fact, the federal troops were actually brought out. Um, 43 people died. If you want to see the aftermath of what happens in these situations, I recommend going down to Rosa Parks and uh, Grand River. That was actually... uh, that corner has has the old jail, <laughs> one of the city jails that uh, was uh, torched. Uh, riots, of course, are not free speech, and uh, you know it, you you have to withhold judgment about all the facts because they're they're still being investigated and still unclear. But it's quite obvious that there was some sort of police misconduct here. But burning down the CVS uh, where your parents and grandparents get their prescriptions, putting a bunch of people out of work. And uh, let's give Major League Baseball a minor brain damage. I'm not too sure why they canceled the base. Well, I understand why they canceled one game, but I don't understand why they had one game and banned the fans from coming. Yeah, that's a bizarre first in American sports. In American history. Yeah. And it just didn't call for that. In fact, if, if anything, having a sold-out ballpark, because uh, Baltimore does pretty well at home with their attendance, uh, great Orioles teams from the 60s and 70s won several world championships. And Didn't the Tigers sort of pull together for a big heroic World yeah. Series after the Detroit riots? Yeah, I, I didn't There's understand something about, that at uh, all. An event, a sporting event can actually bring... Some positive uh, goodwill to uh, it's a community event. Um, it, it you know, and a famous example, uh, the NFL um, did not cancel its games following the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Now, of course, Baltimore has had riots before uh, related to the assassination of Martin Luther King, but uh, you know, the cops and the robbers have been rounded up. Not all of them, but most of them. And we'll see how the process of justice uh, moves on. Unfortunately, uh, you know, some of the real solutions are just not in the cards. And I think uh, this sort of mamby-pamby thing about, let's have a discussion. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know where these discussions are going. <laughs> I'm not seeing any concrete policy uh, movements by Congress and, you know, that our criminal justice system is, is screwed up is, you know, really beyond argument. I don't know whether this is going to figure into the 2016 presidential campaign. But it is ironic that uh, in the uh, latest New York Review of Books, the May 21st edition, an article by Jed Rakoff, and it may be Rakoff, but I'll... Uh, assume it's Rakoff, entitled Mass Incarceration, the Silence of the Judges, describes uh, in some factual detail as well as some historical detail about the problem of crime and punishment here in the United States. Rakoff notes that the basic facts are not in dispute. More than 2.2 million people are currently incarcerated in U.S. jails and prisons, a 500% increase over the past 40 years 
Although the United States accounts for 5% of the world's population, it houses 25% of the world's prison population. The per capita incarceration rate in the United States is about one and a half times that of second place Rwanda. And get this, third place Russia uh, is... uh, more than six times the rate of Canada. I guess uh, Rwanda and Russia are about the same. So yeah, we have six times the rate of Canada. Uh, Rakoff notes that another 4.75 millions are subject to state supervision imposed by probation and parole. He also adds that most of the young men of color, who are we locking up? Question mark. Most young men of color, over eight. 140,000 or nearly 40% of the 2.2 million U.S. prisoners are African-American males. Put another way, about one in nine African-American males between the ages of 20 and 34 is now in prison. And if the current rate holds, one-third of all black men will be imprisoned at some point in their lifetime. He also adds that approximately 440,000 or 20% of the 2.2 million U.S. prisoners are Hispanics. That sums it up pretty good. And, of course, uh, he notes, goes on to note, that a lot of this is the war on drugs. Uh, there are a lot of uh, this broken windows thing, I think, needs to be discarded. This, this is a... We need to worry about burning buildings. Let Maddie Maroon worry about the broken windows down at the Detroit. <laughs> well, we need to hear more about uh, work opportunities, educational opportunities. Yeah. Uh, if ever there was time for, uh, you know, driving up north, uh, you reach the 49th parallel. Here in Michigan, there's a uh, Civilian Conservation Corps Museum. There's a program that has some merit. Yes. It could certainly be uh, reinstituted to uh, help serve today's youth and uh, yeah, the you- communities that really could benefit from these sorts of practices. And you could certainly have a, a, a youth-oriented uh, CCC. Uh, you know, in the original CCC during the Great Depression, of course, it was uh, for able-bodied men that were simply out of work. And these were uh, labor-intensive jobs where people... Tree uh, planting. So, you know, without serious work. skills and are just sort of following orders. It was almost quasi-military. Uh, a lot of people camped in mm-hmm. in in. It was a barrack system, yeah. and uh, it, it yeah, quasi military is. It ain't perfect. It's camp. It's a work camp, but, but it's uh, it's it paid paid, and it it what it inst, inst, instills is is uh, income. Uh, you're kept out of trouble. Uh, you can roast marshmallows over the fire and all sorts of the other delights of camping. I'm sure. But, uh, you know, you have to show up to work. and well, you develop social skills. Yeah. It's something that you can put on a resume. It's something that's it's money that could be arranged so that there's credits towards college. Uh, that could be something that's just simply just done. one simple idea. On a one- or two-year basis. Right. You know, immediate. But you're not going to see the Republicans in Congress pay for something like this, even though it would cost next to nothing compared to all of the... Military airplanes and all of these other uh, ridiculous military operations that the United States has going on around the world. Or the militarization of local police. There's a lot of money that's uh, poorly spent. Great to see that Scott Walker wants to 
take the war to the terrorists abroad. He uh, claims we're we're not doing this. Um, of course, the interesting thing about this article by Jake uh, Jed uh, Rakoff is that he goes into the uh, debate about whether this incarceration has led to the decline of crime, which is one of the other ironies. They actually have declining crime in the United States, uh, substantially down from the 1970s and 80s. Uh, and, of course, we know that in the 1970s, much of the crime problem was caused by the economic dislocation of the, uh, uh, you know, the fact that the United States went off the uh, the Bretton Woods uh, mm-hmm. gold standard, so to speak. Uh, we had massive inflation. We had an oil embargo. We had massive decline in uh, U.S. manufacturing in these uh, so-called blue-collar cities. All related, of course, to the Vietnam War spending. Yeah. And uh, how ironic that we, you know, this last week there were discussions about the Vietnam War because of the anniversary. Uh, and the revisionism on the right is astonishing on this issue, by the way. The, I want to refer to an article in the Thursday Wall Street Journal by Robert F. Turner, who has co-founded the Center for National Security Law at the University of Virginia Law School and has co-taught an interdisciplinary seminar on the Vietnam War since 1990. Wow, this article is, is full of uh, unbelievable revisionism about the uh, Vietnam War. Um, he argues, uh, amazingly, that the United States, quote, went to war because by ratifying the U.N. Charter in 1945, In the CETO Treaty, a decade later, the United States pledged to oppose armed international aggression. Uh, Well, (laughs) Oh, really? They might have done so. He then goes on to compare it to the Korean War, which is a ludicrous comparison. He just simply leaves out many of the important historical facts. Doesn't mention that the United States installed Bao Dai as emperor of Vietnam in 1950, doesn't mention the French Civil War. Uh, Ho Chi Minh uh, was was basically promised by FDR that uh, the French would not get their colonies back. Yeah. And, of course, he died uh, before World War II ended, and Truman came in and had a different agenda, different advisors. Uh, Turner doesn't even mention um, the fact that the United States canceled the uh, um, 1956 elections because Ho Chi Minh would have won. Uh, Vietnam was divided by the so-called Geneva Accords that the United States and the French orchestrated. Ho Chi Minh uh, saw Vietnam as one country, and it was a classic counterinsurgency war. It wasn't a anywhere comparable to the invasion of South Korea by North Korea. It's just ludicrous. Furthermore, the Korean War, despite all your, however you want to spin it, uh, was sanctioned by the U.N. Indeed. The Soviets decided to walk out. They could have vetoed the resolution. The Vietnam War was never sanctioned by the United Nations. The United States was simply up to mischief. And it wasn't just the Vietnam War. It was Laos. It was Cambodia. It was the bombing of North Vietnam with, uh, you know, the most sophisticated aircraft in the world. And to attribute the loss 
the losses in Vietnam simply to the incompetent micromanagement of LBJ and Robert McNamara, and, quote, Hanoi's brilliant propaganda campaign, which fueled a gullible, often disingenuous global peace movement, is unbelievable. Uh, he omits... That's a little catty. <laughs> well, it's it's classic conservative historical revisionism. You know, they yeah, want to blame the protesters for right. the fact that we didn't win this war. He goes on to mention that we were, quote, winning the war on the ground. Well, that's highly debatable. Uh, he doesn't mention that the counterinsurgency was... There was a, a separate war in South, South Vietnam. You know, it was the Viet Cong. And... Uh, Yes, there were uh, infiltrators from the north, but it was also indigenous people that objected to the corruption and incompetence, if he wants to use that word, of the South Vietnamese government that was Catholic, ignored uh, some of the religious problems that the United States conveniently overlooked the whole time, Mm -hmm. pretending that Buddhists and animists were not part of the Vietnam population. No, it was a classic blunder from the beginning <laughs> and it cost hundreds of billions of dollars and he goes on to mention the cambodian genocide what he omits is that it was the united states that overthrew prince sianuk it was nixon's secret war in cambodia that's omitted from this entire essay and admittedly uh, several columns in the wall street journal uh, a rag of uh Ill repute that uh, <laughs> serves better as uh, toilet paper, I, I'm afraid. Birdcage liner. <laughs> um, and published by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, it's, a, it's a Murdoch. Uh... And I mention him, of course, because of the upcoming British elections. You know, he's going to have a big role in who wins that because he controls the media, the newspapers there. So, yeah, an unbelievable revisionism. So we'll just, uh, you know, I, I've always thought that... Uh, General Jap, who he mentions, he even gets the Gulf of Tonkin history wrong. He says another myth, because he keeps talking about myths. Um, lied about the North Vietnam, LBJ lied about the North Vietnamese attack on the USS Maddox in the Gulf of Tonkin on August 2nd as a pretext for escalating American involvement. While there were two incidents in the Gulf of Tonkin, This leaves aside whether or not the United States deliberately provoked these incidents, but one of these incidents clearly never happened. (laughs) And it was uh, gullible uh, Robert McNamara that bought the lies from the admirals that were spinning the tale of aggression by the communists. And, of course, it's part of the uh, whole paranoid, uh, we can't lose China again crowd. The uh, paranoid school of American politics, as Professor uh, Richard Hofstetter noted in his series of classic books. And then, bizarrely, he almost concludes his uh, essay with this strange uh, interpretation. He says, though Congress ultimately snatched a defeat from the jaws of victory, American sacrifices were not totally in vain by resisting communist insurgencies in the region the U.S. bought time for vulnerable targets such as Thailand and Indonesia to become stronger. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Thailand was an, a monarchy, and the Thai people are well... It's well known that they love the monarchy there. They were our ally. We used 
Udorn Air Force Base to bomb Laos for seven years in secret. Indonesia was, we organized a coup d'etat there in 1965. (laughs) You know, I mean, talk about ridiculous interpretations of the Vietnam War. Uh, Our involvement in Indochina had nothing to do with our involvement in the coup in Indonesia. I mean, it was just another example of the United States throwing its weight around uh, as the imperial brontosaurus with a brain of a pea and a pig. Picking a local favorite without really understanding the context within which the players are operating. And, of course, Graham Greene's Quiet American novel is a textbook study of why the Vietnam War happened. It was this mistaken American, quote-unquote, intelligence, uh, which perceived itself to be uh, flawless. Yeah, and leaving aside all of the blunders regarding religion, because the United States is continuing to make those mistakes in the entire Islamic world these days, not understanding the complexities of Shiites, Sunnis, Salafists, etc., I mean, it's it's an exceedingly, I don't know, one-track mind. Let's remember that the United States in Indonesia participated, according to most records that are reliable, uh, in the assassination of about 200,000 communists, quote-unquote, while we installed uh, Suharto, and we overthrew Sukarno, because he was one of the leaders of the non-aligned movement, which the United States interpreted at an early point in time under Eisenhower and uh, certainly under Richard Nixon, that the non-aligned movement was communist. This is why, by the way, that we tilted to Pakistan. Away from India. Away from India. And the logic of that continues to baffle me. (laughs) Since Pakistan is a conduit, for radical Wahhabi Islamist uh, instability, destabilization, whatever you want to call it, it it's, it's widespread throughout the Middle East and uh, near Asia, you know, and yep. it's unbelievable. Um, it's interesting that this past week there was an outstanding um, a special on BBC about the new uh, Saudi... Uh, Regime, huh. highly recommended if you can check that out online. That's a kind of a. I heard it in my car, on my car radio, and I didn't have the ability to take notes. But uh, they replay those. But because the 100 days of the new Saudi king, Salman, a very interesting historical analysis of the entire proxy wars that have been going on in uh, the Middle East and in near Asia, uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, the Iran-Iraq war, what we're seeing in Yemen. We've even seen an incident over this past week in the Persian Gulf. Yeah, It's amazing stuff. And it's amazing how the United States uh, frequently blunders into these civil wars, not uh, wars of aggression, so to speak. Uh, unresolved disputes connected to, hmm, guess what? British, French, Russian, and American imperialism. <laughs> Luckily, the Portuguese are too weak to hold on to their, <laughs> to make, 
any last stands. <laughs> well, the Saudis have uh, been our friends on numerous occasions. They've uh, exploited our good nature on uh, numerous occasions, and they've worked covertly against America. Sure. On many occasions as well. So this is the way the world of espionage and, you know, real politic works as you just sort of perceive it all as interchangeable pieces on a game board. Uh, that's a form of madness. And highly unaware of shifting alliances as well as the true loyalties or, or alliances that exist. Recall, of course, that in the, at the heart of the Iran-Contra affair uh, was the fact that Israel had decided that Saddam Hussein was a bigger threat than Iran. So they were secretly supporting Iran, and they got America to send the missiles over to Iran, while the Reagan administration concocted a cover story that this was a uh, secret, ever so secret, diplomatic initiative to cozy up to moderates in Iran. Hmm. Then a couple of years later, after Reagan was discovered to be wearing pajamas and not a brown suit, we began to back Iraq. Uh, in the in the so-called Persian Gulf War of the late late 80s, and of course fueled both sides for quite some time. Uh, one wonders if Israel now regrets supporting Iran uh, in that war. Of course, the reason they did so is is quite clear. Saddam was a an Arab, highly involved in the Palestinian conflict, and Iran was. Less involved. Well, and Israel was a country that enjoyed very close relationships with Iran under the rule of the Shah. Sure. And so uh, there was maybe a hope on their part that there might still be some secret loyalists within the Iranian intelligence or military uh, apparatus. Hiding Um, in Ayatollah Khomeini's beard, perhaps? (laughs) Highly unlikely prospect. There would have been any... uh, Still Shah sympathetic uh, in any of those uh, systems, but yeah, it's craziness. Yeah, unbelievable, and yeah, the revisionism about Vietnam continues in right-wing circles. I'll certainly have to remember uh, this uh, this statement that uh, Congress uh, snatched uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Well, not exactly. Congress just simply got fed up with wars did most of the American people and cut off funding. Uh, And yet uh, the MIA POW issue lingered on for several more years. So uh, I'm not too sure why this uh, historian and who, by the way, served in the military. So he, well, real quickly on the uh, MIA POW thing, because every once in a while you still see these black flags with the, you know, silhouette of a guy behind barbed wire. Uh, the likelihood that any of those MIAs are are still alive and being held in captivity somewhere in some jungle, slim to nil. Uh, more concern needs to be given for the fact that over a million Vietnamese civilians were killed by U.S. forces. Uh, of course, there are always going to be soldiers whose bodies are never found. Uh, whose outcomes are never known. In World War II uh, alone, there were tens of thousands of such 
Uh, and you you don't see concern. Of why didn't France return our war dead? Yeah, seventy eight thousand MIAs in the Second so World War. This is the nature of war. It's violent. It's uh, chaotic. Uh, nobody really knows everything that happens in it. So to sort of demand that these bodies be yeah, found, it's it's insane, especially in the kind of a jungle climate that uh, this war occurred in. Those those things are long gone. Well, and it's it's fairly well established that almost all of the MIAs that the United States continued to basically not renew diplomatic relations with Vietnam disappeared over water. They were right. They were basically uh, helicopter uh, medics or pilots or people flying bombs, you know, napalm, yep. um, a chemical weapon, uh, I hasten to add. Perfected we, right here in Michigan. Yeah, we, Jim and I both saw an outstanding documentary uh, about... Uh, Inextinguishable fire. Yeah. Filming, napalm yeah. burns at, what, 3,000 degrees centigrade? Um, you know, the problem with the old napalm was that it you could wash it off and it wasn't as destructive or as deadly. And so the military approached science, who found a way to perfect it, and so made it uh, much more difficult to wash off. And so those horrifying images that elementary school children such as myself saw in Life magazine back in 1972. Sure. Uh, were the very products of the scientific research going on in the, you know, what I later uh, understood to be the military-industrial complex. And it's ironic, by the way, he mentions Cambodia, but of course the, the genocide in Cambodia was sponsored by the Khmer Rouge that the Vietnamese actually invaded Cambodia to end their Right, yeah, role. it was the Vietnamese communists who overthrew uh, Pol Pot. And Khmer Rouge, you know, they emerged from the civil war that was that we sponsored in Cambodia. The famine, uh, the basically the agitprop that the, the United States was engaged in Southeast Asia. Yes, 1.7 million uh, people died in the Cambodian genocide uh, in the late 70s, but uh, about 3 million died in the uh, so-called Vietnam War. But it was more than just the Vietnam War, unfortunately. Hmm. Uh, I'd just like to mention that we're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up in, I guess, about five minutes or less. Four minutes now we get the uh, general sign. Um, I guess this is a useful opportunity to remind people that there's a couple of ballot initiatives yeah. tomorrow that uh, have some significance. Uh, one is a school-related one, and the other is a very bizarre and ill-considered proposal to raise the sales tax. Uh, I'm injecting my own personal opinion in there, of course, but uh, this smells uh, to many people like a refusal on the part of the Michigan legislature to do its job. Precisely. And the other thing that's bizarre about it is it actually eliminates uh, the sales tax on gas. So it, 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 it goes after general revenue from the public to fund the road. I think it's another way to undercut school spending, too, it's in the long run. It's very strange. It's be interesting to see what happens. The sad fact, unfortunately, is probably less than 20% of eligible Michigan voters are going to determine this right. outcome. Uh, terrible. I heard Jack Lessonberry's commentary on the radio today, mm -hmm. and in his talking with people, polls suggest that this uh, sales tax uh, proposal will not succeed. 
uh, but that people are just so exasperated with the failures of uh, the consistent failures of Michigan state government. Well, and the thing is, is that some pragmatists, quote unquote, are urging people as much as they oppose what what's really this thing's all about to, to vote for it because they want to just get the roads fixed. 